It is Thursday, August 6th. I am Trent Reinsmith, and this is the Daily Come On Now MMA podcast. And if you could, wherever you download your podcast, please like, review, do all that good stuff, help me out. I would greatly appreciate it. And now, on to the show. Brett Akamoto of ESPN dropped, I'm, I don't know if I would call it a bombshell, because this was something I had actually written down to investigate and maybe discuss with Javier Mendez at American Kickboxing Academy if I could. And, well, now I don't have to. But what Akamoto wrote about today is that Habib Nurmagomedov is not going to train in San Jose at American Kickboxing Academy at all for UFC 254. So he's going to stay in Dagestan and train there or somewhere closer to where the fight's going to be held if it's not going to be held in Las Vegas. And the odds are that would be in Abu Dhabi. And I think the concern is the COVID-19. So Javier Mendez told ESPN that he was thinking the fight's going to take place at Fight Island. Um, And this is a quote. What I do know is that COVID-19 is too high in California and Habib is not comfortable coming here to train. So that's understandable. And I don't think this is really going to affect Nurmagomedov because I think he is disciplined enough uh, that he can that he can train wherever and reach his goals. Now I would assume that Mendez and maybe some of the other folks from AK would travel maybe near the end of camp to work with Nurmagomedov, but maybe not. Maybe they do it on Zoom. I mean, he is one of the best fighters the UFC has ever seen, and his game doesn't really change from fight to fight. He's just so good at what he does that he just needs, I think, to drill muscle memory and maybe add a little something to each camp that's specific to his opponent. For Gaethje, that's obviously going to be the stand-up striking. He's not going to want to lead with his chin, which he has a, a tendency to do. Uh, he He's definitely not going to want to rush in and tempt fate and have Gaethje touch him because that would be... That I would would have the potential to be a, a disaster. Uh, it, it, so it's no secret what Gaethje's plan is going to be, and it's no secret what Nurmagomedov's plan is going to be. And so the training is it's not it's not rocket science when it comes to that. I don't think so. Um, yeah. So why I don't think this will affect Nurmagomedov is that with the death of his father, there is no way that he is not going to be prepared for this fight. He doesn't want, I'm sorry, he doesn't strike me as someone who is going to go out there under the circumstances that he is facing and 
put forth a disappointing effort. I don't think he could live with that. Now, if he if he does lose, which I don't think he's gonna, but if he does lose and it's the effort's his best effort, and he knows that and is comfortable with that, then fine. That's 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 how this sport works. There's a winner and there's a loser for every fight. But I just don't. I'd be very very shocked if 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 uh, Mega Metal doesn't finish his career at 30 and 0. No matter where he trains for whoever he fights. Not that long ago, Dana White spoke to Brett Akimoto about a possible fight between Nurmagomedov and George St. Pierre. And this fight was if Nurmagomedov beats Gaethje and says that he wants to fight St. Pierre in his final. UFC fight, final professional fight, go to 30-0 and retire, which he has talked about, I guess, to multiple people, and the fight with St. Pierre was the wish of his father, and we also know, and, and Habib, and so White was asked if he would consider that, and he, he told Akimoto that he would, and that he would do anything for Nurmagomedov because he's been good to the company. Well, it kind of sounds like he's already walking that back a little bit. He spoke to Aaron Bronstetter and recently, and this is what White had to say, and quote, well, let's see what happens with Gaethje. You know, that fight's got to happen first. We just hired GSP. He's a French commentator now for us. That's more what I'd like to see GSP doing. You don't see too many athletes who go out on top. GSP has done that and done it very well. He's got the money. He doesn't need the money. He's working for us now in a different capacity, and I'd love to see him go out on top. So I think White might have written a check here that he might regret and already is regretting. Because there was this talk before, and I think what prevented this fight from taking place was simply St. Pierre's demands for money. And if that's the case, and he already went out there and said that he would consider this, and he would do anything for Nurmagomedov, he already kind of got ahead of himself here, and... Well, now he's he's in a a bad position for negotiation because you've now that you've said that you'll do anything for Habib and the fight you all but agreed that it, that the GSP and Nurmagomedov fight would take place if he beats Gaethje. Well, you're in a bind, and we know the we know this fight would be huge. We know it would have a potential to be the biggest fight in UFC history. It would have the potential to be the biggest fight of, let's say, next year. It's it's going to be big. But St. Pierre is going to want a ton of money for this. He's going to be 40. And he's going to have to train very hard because he's not going to be 
someone who's just going to take a fight for a bag of money. He doesn't strike me as that as as that person. He wants to be prepared. He wants to to put on a good fight. He wants to perform well, and he's not just cashing a check. I don't think it damages his legacy in any, any way if he loses to Nurmagomedov. But I also don't think that he's someone who's just going to do it for 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 fun and and some money. He's a competitor. He's always been a competitor. Um, he weighs things out very carefully, and he's going to want to get paid for this. So I think White just spoke too soon and put himself in a bad sp- spot, and now he's trying to work out of that spot. But that's out of the bottle. The genie's out of the bottle, and it's not coming back. And the fans are now going to have an expectation that this fight's going to happen. And to not make it happen simply over money, knowing full well that the UFC will do incredibly well if the fight does get booked, even if Saint, even if they pay St. Pierre an exorbitant amount of money, the UFC is still going to make more. So I think this is just a case of saying something and then regretting it, and now you've set yourself up for that you almost have to make the fight or you look like a fool, more or less. And not only a fool, but a cheap fool, because we know it would come down to money. Unless St. Pierre just says, you know what, I'm 40. Nah, I'm not interested. But he hasn't said that, so we'll see what happens. If you get the chance, go to the Players' Tribune, and I won't try and link this in the uh, notes and read the hashtag we are united story from the players of the Pac-12 it's a very good story basically a a large group of Pac-12 football players from I think every school but one and I might be wrong with that but a lot of uh, multiple schools wrote a letter that they're going to opt out of the fall camp and participation in the season unless their demands are met for fair treatment, safety regulations, and concerns over racial justice. And this is for that conference. Could lead this could lead to other conferences, but I know I'm not sure. But right now it's the the Pac-12 players. Um. And in this story, I think it says, and this is from ESPN, quote, because NCAA sports exploit college athletes physically, economically, and academically, and also disproportionately harm black college athletes, hashtag we are united. And so I understand this. It's, it's, it's powerful story to read. And I, I also think that it says some things that the UFC athletes could take from it, and not in the in the racial justice, because the I think the the makeup of the UFC athletes is incredibly diverse, and while I think there are issues with racism and sexism, I would say that. I'm going to be careful here, I guess. I would say that the majority of them probably 
come from with from outside the company and with the fan base and so that's a different issue for the UFC fighters I know it's a big issue for the NCAA football players which is why they included those demands in in the story in the list of things that they want um but I think what can be taken out of this story and what the Pac-12 football players are doing for the UFC athletes is the one thing that got this all started was a group chat. So I, I think I, I was listening to um, ESPN Daily Podcast, and I think what they said was this chat has... Uh, 400 or so players involved in it and I mean if 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 these college kids can have a group chat of the football players with 400 players in it then I think the UFC athletes could easily do the same with all their fighters now there's going to be language and cultural and time issues so it that makes it a little a little more difficult so maybe maybe you get leaders from the gyms or from fight camps or i don't know but maybe you get representatives to kind of take the lead in that group chat so they can then disseminate the information to other folks outside of the group chat but I, I still believe that this would that would be a great idea for the fighters to do because it would be something where they could maybe get a little more organized and hash out some differences and figure out what everyone wants and needs from their from the contracts they get. Maybe they could discuss, you know, pay situations here and, and things that try and keep it from leaking or hey if they want to leak it I'm all ears but you could get a feel for how things are going for every fighter inside the UFC and then that's when you can start you know like the Pac-12 players are doing here making demands and some of the things that the Pac-12 players are demanding are also some things that the UFC fighters and athletes could demand. And for instance, the Pac-12 says here, allow option not to play during the pandemic without losing athletics eligibility or spot on our team's roster. That's easily adaptable to the UFC in that you can uh, opt out of fighting during the pandemic and not have automatic contract extensions kick in. So the UFC offers you that fight. But you don't want to take it because of the pandemic. Well, that would normally kick in a contract extension. But if it's if if you work out that deal, then that contract extension doesn't happen. Your contract kind of freezes, but you don't get time added on. Uh, another big thing here is that the player-approved health and safety standards enforced by a third party selected by the players to address COVID-19 as well as serious injury, abuse, and death. That would be huge for the UFC fighters if they could uh, get a third party 
to over, oversee the UFC's health and safety program, or at least uh, audit it and look into it in that, in that way. I think that would be a fantastic step for the fighters. Another big one that the fighters could ask for here is, um, where did it go? Medical insurance selected by players for sports-related medical conditions, including COVID-19 illnesses, to cover six years after college athletics eligibility ends. And this is big, very big, because we don't know, no one knows what's going to happen if somebody gets COVID-19 and recovers. But what happens then? Do they, do they develop other illnesses? Are they susceptible to other things? That's a big big question that's still not answered and so this gives would give the 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 Pac-12 players six years of of health insurance after they leave the, the school and you know that probably doesn't a very small number will will get NFL contracts and they'll probably be covered by that but maybe not because it might be a pre-existing if they had COVID-19, I don't know how that all works with the NFL health program, but it's a possibility that it could be a, an issue there. And and so I would say this is something that maybe for fighters who retire under under the UFC banner, that they have some kind of extended health insurance uh, for X number of years after they retire. I don't think that's too much to ask since there's no pension, which uh, there should be. But the, I think the least the UFC could do is offer some kind of health insurance to these folks with a, a, a limited time frame after their careers. And especially if there's someone who fought a long time for the promotion uh, and and then retired with the promotion. So take, for instance... Someone like Jim Miller or Donald Cerrone or, or, or anyone that's been around, uh, Diego Sanchez, been around for a long time. I'm sure ha- they have lingering injuries that they never took care of but might need to take care of in the next few years after they retire. Well, that would be great. Another thing here is the freedom to secure representation, receive basic necessities from any third party, and earn money for our name, image, and likeness rights. That's a no-brainer. You should, the fighters should always be able to earn, uh, earn money from their image and likeness. They are professional athletes. To, uh, to deny them that is, is just flat-out wrong, and they shouldn't have to give a Uf- the UFC a piece of that at all. So hopefully that, I mean, that's another thing. Another thing they're doing here, and this is the one that's getting a lot of attention because uh, from what they said on ESPN Daily Podcast, the, the football, college football, $4.2 billion industry. And so the players here are asking for 50% of each sport's total conference revenue evenly spread among athletes in their respective sports. That would be a windfall for the for the football players in the Pac-12. Uh, a lot of older sports writers think that's a non-starter, and um, I would ask why. 
the NCAA has exploited these athletes for so long and made so much money off of them that it's, I don't think that's a non-starter. Especially if they're making these football players and athletes, quote-unquote student athletes, go back to school to participate in their sports while other students are taking online classes or off-campus classes or the classes aren't, aren't taking place on campus at all for anyone, well, then you're telling the students that you're part of the faculty. You're an employee. We need you, the student-athletes, that is. We need you back here with the faculty to do your quote-unquote job. If that happens, then this 50% revenue that's not a non-starter because you've sent a different message uh, between the student athletes and the students. So once you make that difference, then that's a that's a whole can of worms that's opened. And yeah, so I think that that's a good thing. And why? And again, why shouldn't the UFC athletes get fifty percent or of the revenue? Now the the uh, the interview that was with the the student athletes in on ESPN, they said that this is this is how you negotiate. You start here, and then you negotiate from here. And so I don't think anyone's expecting fifty percent. I don't know what they are expecting, but if the negotiation starts at fifty, you're not going to get fifty. But it's a good number to start with. And then see what happens. And I think that's what UFC fighters should start thinking about too. 50% is where you want to start because that's around what every other uh, professional sport pays its athletes from revenue. And so if you get this group chat going, that's the first step of a movement towards organizing. And, you know, we know the UFC doesn't want an organized group of fighters. So just even the threat of the organized group of fighters might be enough to move, move, the, move the chains a little bit and get more than what they are getting now. And even, even, if, you, uh, even if you double what the revenue share, the, UF, the fighters aren't going to get more than 40%. So the UFC has a lot of wiggle room with a lot of things um, if, if, if demands are made and there's a fear that they're going to organize. The insurance is one, pay is another, uh, sponsorships are another. There's a lot of things that they could do to, av- to offer these fighters to avoid an organized uh, group of fighters. And I think the UFC would do that if the threat of organization and an association ever seems to be getting close. So I would, ex- I would uh, encourage anyone interested in the sport or sports in general to read that players of the Pac-12 on the, on the Players' Tribune. And I would hope that the UFC fighters look at that and say, if these college athletes, student athletes, can start demanding things from the NCAA, why can't we do the same as a group, as a unit with the UFC? 
And the answer is they can. They just fear it. But if you can get, if you can get everyone on the same page through some kind of, some way like these, these players did through group chat, well, then you're headed in the right direction. And I, maybe I'm out of my mind, but I think the idea is a good one and it should be at least investigated and explored by the UFC fighters. And I think that's going to be it for this evening. Um, a little long-winded on the Pac-12, but uh, after researching it even just a little bit, it's pretty exciting what they're doing, and hopefully they are not the first, I mean, sorry, they're not the last group that is going to uh, explore this in some way. So I encourage that. But anyway, I am going to call it an evening. Probably that'll be the last podcast for this week. Uh, maybe not in case something happens I always leave the door open to have another one on Friday or over the weekend if something amazing happens but if not I will be back uh, Sunday for Monday morning with more to speak about and until then stay safe <laughs>